Welcome everybody, I'm Joel Van Hoogen and this is The Bread of Life. I am the Bible teacher at the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho, and I'm also the Executive Director of the International Outreach and Disciple Making Ministry, Church Partnership Evangelism. You can learn more about how we're raising up national evangelists and disciple makers and church planters by going to traincpe.org. And please know that your prayers and your financial partnership are used of God to sustain this work. To donate, again go to traincpe.org and follow the links. Listen now as we continue a message in Micah 5.2. There the prophet foretells that an insignificant little town named Bethlehem would be the place where would rise up the one who would rule over Israel and bring his kingdom to all the earth. The one strange part about this prophecy was that at the time it came, Bethlehem was the city of kings, and great kings were ruling in Israel at that time. But Bethlehem was like people. It started off better than it finished. And from that time have come other great kings like King Hezekiah and King Uzziah and King Josiah. And it's actually during the reign of King Hezekiah, who's ruling in the house of David as a strong and good king in Judah, that that Micah rises up to speak about Bethlehem. So Bethlehem is not this poor, wretched place at this time. Bethlehem is a place that is a place of tremendous success. Bethlehem is a place that is a manifestation of power and might and promise and fulfillment and everything that God had said and God had promised about David. It seems to be fulfilled in certain ways. And there are some setbacks here, but they're gaining ground. They've got a great king that's before them at this time. And so there's somewhat of a riddle when people read this passage. They didn't understand it. It actually sounded like something that was not prophesying some great turn of events, but just a steady progression of the rise of Bethlehem to a place of stature and greatness until one day the great king that will provide a reign out of Israel over all the earth will rise up. It was small back in Boaz's day, they might have thought, but it's great now. And hopefully its greatness is, we haven't seen its best days. The best days are ahead of us. That's what the people were thinking when they read it. It didn't make sense. But, but there's a reckoning for Bethlehem. There's a change that takes place in Bethlehem's history. Seven to hundred years pass before this prophecy is fulfilled. So let's now go to the point in time in which that prophecy is fulfilled. We read about it in Luke chapter 2. You might take your Bibles there. We'll read verses 1 through 7. This takes us to the moment of time where God answers the prophecy that he made through Micah. We know the passage. We'll read it again more than once during this Christmas season. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered or taxed. This census first took place while Canarius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were completed that she would be delivered and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Many, many years ago, Judah had lost her kings to captivity as a part of God's judgment for her sin and idolatry. These kings had been led away into captivity into Babylon Judah rested under that captivity for many years. The the region where 
Bethlehem began to be occupied by nobody. Seventy years of not being occupied at all. Actually, the Babylonians, in order to put down the revolt of the Jews, when they came into it and they led their kings away captive, also went to every place where they built fortified cities or they built fortresses, and they tore those fortresses to the ground. So the great fortress that Rehoboam had built had been torn down to nothing but rubble. Then, after a long exile, about 600 years or 630 years passed, the people of Judah were allowed, those who wanted to, not, not very many, not nearly as many as were taken away, were allowed to return and go back. They, by now, most of them had set up their lives in Babylon and other parts of the kingdom and were happy with where they were and were satisfied and found to get along. But there were some that returned to Judah. And they went back to Judah to live in Judah after 70 years. And there they went back and they found, for example, in Jerusalem, all the walls torn down, the temple was destroyed. And there were a few that came back that remembered their glory days, were told... They wept and they mourned because they saw how everything had been destroyed. But most individuals that came back had no memory of that time and no memory of the greatness that they had realized under David or under Solomon or under Rehoboam or under Hezekiah or Uzziah or Josiah. They came and they settled in different villages and different places. There was one king, by the way, that rose up at the time by the name of Zerubbabel, and he fit within the family tree and family line of David, and there was some hope within the people that he would be the one that would reintroduce the royal line. But by the time that this takes place and is fulfilled in Luke chapter 2, the royal line of the kings has faded out in the minds of the people as well. And by the way, when the people came back and they entered it back into the land, coming back from their captivity in Babylon 630 years prior to this, Nehemiah lists the places in the various towns where they reestablished themselves. So there's a list of all the towns that were reestablished after the exile of the people when they turned back in the land, and Bethlehem is not on the list. This place that is this great city of the kings doesn't even make the list of prominent places when they return from the exile. It's forgotten. It's least. It's one of the least of the thousands in Israel. And I think to some extent it was kind of embarrassing to have the city of kings, the city of David, be this weary, lonely place, this small little place that is now somewhat insignificant. Once these people come back in exile, what Israel becomes or Judah becomes, this land becomes, is it basically becomes a pawn of all kinds of different nations and different foreign powers or different puppet governors that are established. And so there are no kings ruling. They're being passed under the power of various Gentile nations, one after the other. They become just a region in which they live as vassals serving these kings. Basically, the people of Israel become sharecroppers on the land that God had once long ago given to them as an inheritance. And they live that way for over 700 years in that place, going down further and further and further. And the walls of the fortress now are just ruins, and they're ruins that are haunted by the ghost of greatness that had once been there but disappeared entirely. I've been to Cambodia, and Cambodia has the boast of having days way past when they were the rulers and kings of the kingdom of the, all of that region of Asia We've gone back from Angkor Wat to go and see the ruins of these temples and these fortresses that were built and they're quite ornate. And when they were discovered, they were just completely covered in jungles, in a jungle. They were slowly excavated and brought back, but they had been forgotten entirely. But even now, they're just a relic. They're a relic of something that passed away a long time ago. And 
Instead, the downward progression from that point of greatness for the people in Cambodia kind of came to its lowest point in the 70s when the Khmer Rouge took over Cambodia and over a short period of time their own city of Phnom Penh was evacuated. Over a million people evacuated in 24 hours and over two to three million people over a period of about three years were basically put to death or killed or starved to death in work camps. From great to complete forgettable insignificance. Something like this in Bethlehem. Even after the Lord Jesus is born, what do we know? As a punctuation of this insignificance, Herod finds out that there's a rumor that in the city of Bethlehem has been born the one who's been projected to be the Messiah, and Herod sends in his soldiers to put to death every child under the age of two years old. He's reigning and ruling over them. And here in Bethlehem at this time, there's no longer the fortress that Rehoboam had built, only a relic of ruins, but Herod himself has built a massive fortress just outside of Bethlehem. He's actually excavated a mountaintop and built this great hill and extended it to get higher and higher so it's higher than any other region. And on top of that, he builds his fortress and it looms over Bethlehem at this time. It's mocking them. It's telling them that they've totally lost everything and now they're being reigned and ruled over by a mongrel king that they have no respect for whatsoever, but a puppet that's been imposed over them by the Romans and calls himself their king. Ha! That's their life. And now... The Romans have called for a tax. They've called for a census to take place so they know where everybody is, so they know just how to tax them. And families are forced to return to the town of the origin of their clan, and people straggle into Bethlehem, the city of David, the city of kings, but no royalty walks into its streets, no kings walk into the street, no princes, no lords walk into this place. Instead, who arrive are shepherds and common workers and carpenters and the nation's laborers. And the line of David has fallen from its pinnacle to the pit. And Bethlehem is at its lowest. The city of David is a reminder of crushed dreams and lost opportunities. It's a lesson of how the mighty have fallen. And Bethlehem is now just a meek little town, just as Micah said it would be. Just as he said it would be. But it's from this point that this great and wonderful reversal happens. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you be little or forgotten among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel whose going forth is from of old, from everlasting. And it happens at that very lowest point. Take your Bibles for a moment. Go to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5. I don't know if we'll get a chance to look at this more completely in the days ahead, but if not, I encourage you to let your mind begin to rest upon these words here. Paul writes, but when the fullness of time had come, the idea there, at just the right time, God sent forth a son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, where that we might receive the adoption of sons. The phrase I want to consider here just briefly after we've talked about everything we said right now is what does it mean the fullness of time had come? when things were just right, when everything was just in the right position. There are different people who conjecture, different commentators have conjectured on why this moment in time is the perfect time in which God the Son to come forth upon the earth and be born in Bethlehem and rise up to be this one who would bring a message of peace to all the world. And, and some will say that the fullness of time was realized because politically everything was ripe for this. 
The roads of Rome had all been constructed. There was the Pax Romana or the peace that was presided over those places because of Roman authority and it made possible for the spread of the gospel. Others will say that there was a linguistic moment here where basically in the known world at that time, everyone spoke the language of Greek. And so because there was this common language that kind of mantled all the world, there was a way communicate the gospel in all kinds of other places. They'll say socially it was the right time because it was a time in which the Greeks and, and the Romans and the people that were losing a sense of hope or trust in all their mythological gods. And there was a rising of a sense of atheism, but also a longing for something bigger and greater and more wonderful because of the various philosophers who were speaking and influencing the age like Plato and so this was a ripe time in the minds of people philosophically and socially to look for an answer that would come for them and the answer of a Messiah who was the God of all creation who had come to earth and risen from the dead. And so it was a perfect time for these truths to be communicated. And so that's also been an idea of why this was the fullness of time. And then there are others who would say that the fullness of time really is this. I think this is closer to the truth that there was now over 1,300 years in which the people of Israel had lived under the law that Moses had given. And that this law was slowly working their lives, gaining an influence over the way they lived. Actually, there was no other time in the history of Judaism in which Judaism was more carefully and completely expressed and followed than in this time right here. Well, thank you for listening to the Ministry of the Bread of Life. To learn more about our ministry, let me suggest you go to one of two websites. Go to traincpe.org to learn more about the work we're doing all over the world to equip and engage the body of Christ in personal evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Or to learn about our work in your community, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, God bless you.